0: Hey, you got Frank from the Everyday Sniper and we have a special guest today, Phil Vallejo, uh Gunworks, USMC Scout Sniper instructor, competitive shooter, winner of the PRS finale last week, uh just all around great guy. Phil, awesome to have you on the Everyday Sniper Podcast. Thanks for calling in.
1: Hey Frank, thanks for having me. It's definitely an honor to uh be a part of uh your your podcast.
0: I'm, I'm a huge Phil fan, man. I'm 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 on your side. I'm definitely a fan of everything you do, from the, uh, the little training video stuff, the the little nuggets you put out, um, the, the 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 fundamentalist Phil, everything that that we see about you in person, social media, and in competition. I think is something people should look at as a role model.
1: Hey, man, I I appreciate that. Um, you know that that definitely means a lot in the sense that. I'd say about three or four years ago when I was, you know, uh, a scout sniper instructor down at, uh, you know, scout sniper school and trying to find my bearings into the civilian side of the long range. I, I definitely looked, you know, to you and sniper side for a lot of uh, my foundation or just uh, not really foundation, but a, a uh, just a reminder of, like, okay, you know, even after the transition of getting out of the Marine Corps, like, this is still being taught, if that makes sense, right? You know what yeah. I Because mean? I could... As I dove into the competitive sport, I could see how stuff started to get lost. And I'm sure we'll go down that, that rabbit hole here uh, shortly. But, yeah, no, I, I, again, give, I uh, – I, give,
0: give the guys a background. Like, cause you did come out of the Marine Corps. You were an instructor on the West Coast over there. And and at what point did you decide to jump into the competitive side? Because you did that before you got out. and And, and what was the hook for you?
1: Yeah, so, uh, background on myself real quick, Um joined the Marine Corps in 2007, uh, straight leg infantryman, Um I'm a stay baby by trade, so what that means is as soon as I, as soon as I graduated, uh, the i t b you know, went to my unit, first time, fourth Marines, and they were, uh, I actually just posted about this today, they were holding a screener, scout sniper screener, you know, and I was like, well, that sounds fun, right? I played, uh, I, you know, I played sniper on Call of Duty a few times, Um mm-hmm. And they kept talking about this indoctrination. I was like, man, what, what is this indoctrination? I right, am 19 years old. Uh, fast forward, three-day gut check, and here I am in a, in a part of the scout sniper community. Uh, ended up loving the job. Uh, became, actually went to, through school in 2011 uh, where I graduated and uh, became a scout sniper instructor in 2015. Did that for three years. Got out just this past April landed a job with Gunworks uh, as their lead instructor, but to uh, go back to your question about what uh, hooked me is, um, you know, in 2015, I had, I had done a military competition with uh, another one of the instructors. It was uh, down in uh, Arkansas, where the National Guard sniper school is at. And yeah,
0: that's a good school, actually.
1: That is super solid dudes out there. And, you know, we were talking, we were going through these events, and I'm like, man, this is this is pretty legit. Like, you know, I'm... I'm really like, and then this is the fact that I was struggling. With it, uh play uh, placing fairly well, but the scenarios they put us in, I was like, man, it's like to have to think on the fly and create with the game plan. I mean, it was very similar to what you would find, you know, in a, in a combat. So talking to instructors, they're like, yeah, you know, there's individual sports called like the PRS, the Precision Rifle Series, because that was what was, you know, NRL hasn't existed yet. I was like, civilians actually do this for fun. And they're like, yeah. You know, a week later, I'm on Cypress you know, buying accessories, buying a gun, you know what I mean? And then, really, for me, it was to put my money where my mouth was as an instructor, right? Because it's easy to sit there behind the line and, you know, regurgitate things like keep your face on the gun, close your scope caps, keep your heels flat, you know, run the bolt, you know, breathe, reticle, squeeze, all that stuff. But to actually make sure that I was applying it myself... When, when push came to shove, right, um, that was the outlook that I was looking for. And then I ended up meeting a lot of cool dudes along the way down in SoCal, um, you know, because the furthest that we were able to shoot was, like, 300. Um, but I was exposed to a new kind of training opportunity that, that I knew that I, I wasn't getting in the break war. Nice. Yeah. I, quick
0: just to flashback really quick, we didn't do the index, uh for one two back in the day. Uh, I, I actually got my slot to sniper school uh, out drinking in New York for the reopening of the Statue of Liberty. Nice. Uh, so, so it was like, you know, hey guys, I'm from the Northeast. I'm from that area. Let's go out drinking. And uh, oh, by the way, I want to go to sniper school. Here's a beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And they're like, and they're like, okay, dude, you can go. And. and <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, at least, so, at least you're honest, right? There you
0: go. Yeah. Well, that was the thing is that at the time it uh, was Henderson, he kept his word. Like, what are the odds? Like, a sergeant is going to keep his word to a PFC who on this little you know Tiger Cruise float up from North Carolina to the, uh, New York City? He, he's going to say, "Yeah, okay, PFC, you go to sniper school," and, and he, he kept his word. And that was that to me was the biggest deal. You know.
1: That's actually pretty cool, right I mean you're on you're on the your way back from uh uh deployment?
0: which was uh, um Reagan was reopening the Statue of Liberty and they ah, did okay. a tiger cruise, and they were having a dog and pony show up, nice. in, up in Manhattan and stuff and so uh I had just gotten the one too, and they all just got back from okinawa so uh they they had a tiger cruise, um, the Austin, a little LPD I think it is LPD or LPH I forget which one it is, but um they they put like you know twenty or so of us on there to do this dog and pony show and it just happened to have two stay guys and and so uh, I got to hook up with them and and then when we got back that's when they you know that was July and I ended up in that very next October class which you know last class for the fiscal year there. And um, I ended up in, in that class, the October class, just a few months after that July reopening of the Statue of Liberty gig.
1: That's pretty legit. Talk about timing.
0: Yeah, it was totally timing and, and all that. But, I mean, it's it, it's a great way. I, I like what you're saying about, I mean, because I think people get lost on the fact we're constantly learning. Even to this day, I'm picking up something new. I go to other people. And like you said, it's easy to sit behind a student and call hits or misses. Oh, yeah. They're, do- they're mm-hmm. doing all the work. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they're doing all the work. And it's like, nope, you missed. Nope, you missed. Oh, you hit it. Okay, next one. So you, you, there's not a lot going on. But then it's the people who go out and try to expand on their, um, their knowledge base, try to widen that out and get that foundation as, as, as wide as possible and that's something that I see you doing that I don't – it doesn't happen across the board with everybody. There's always going to be that 10% where that sort of happens. So I think it, 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 it was such a great thing. And I, I remember when you were transitioning out at SHOT Show, I was talking to you then and trying to get some people. But you can see the hunger and the passion, you know, kind of behind your eyes there. And, and it's translated to, you know, come this you know full circle this year you pull out a win at the PRS finale. And not that yeah. he pulls it out, but you know what I mean? That you, you've gone that far. I mean, because the stuff we do in the Marine Corps, and you could tell it better because you're, you're more up to date than I am, it's night and day to the competition side and the civilian side of shooting. It, it's, it's more about getting there and getting home. And what, what would you th- I, I usually tell people the shooting part might be 10%.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I I just posted this also too on my page about that the ten percent of of what a lot of America thinks of what snipers do, right? You see movies like Shooter, you know, American Sniper, uh, this actual sniper movie, right? And you see, you know, five to ten percent of the job, which is a i what I call the the sexy stuff, right? Guys are behind a sniper rifle, you know, sniping and whatever the case is, but you know, sniper school is, is more than that, or, or just our job in general. You know what I mean? And that's a huge difference between Army snipers and Marine Corps scout snipers in the sense that, you know, our our, you know, our main job is, yeah, to provide precision fires, but majority of our job is taking up conducting reconnaissance, you know, understanding uh, how to support the, the, the infantry squad and stuff like that. So, you know,
0: yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys still use the term. We always said we were the eyes, ears, and trigger finger of the battalion commander.
1: No, absolutely, right? So we have to understand We have to understand how to gather information, uh, what we're looking at on the battlefield and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of our job is pretty boring, and, and that's what separated a lot of, you know, the men, voice and the men, right, is, you know, a, a guy would tough out a three- to five-day screener, no, no big deal. But the real work started when we when he actually got to the sniper platoon and it was like, All right, this is what we're doing ninety percent of the time sitting on radio watch, on glass, staring at absolutely nothing, right? And that's when guys <laughs> like started yeah. to fall apart in the sense that like, man, I didn't I didn't sign up for this. I up to be on the freaking sniper rifle. Well guess what? You know what I mean? Like that's not that's not Yeah, a problem.
0: yeah. Here here's the radio, start carrying it.
1: Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> like, and I, I I, enjoyed the radio just for us because I felt I could get in more trouble with the radio. Um, there was a lot more, like, you know, uh, damage to be caused if I had the radio with me. And, and, and it's funny because I, I kind of remember, and I may have told the story on the podcast, we we're, we, we were coming back, I think it was an Okinawa thing or something, and we were doing this off-a-boat mission, you know, uh hit the beach, you know, hedgerows and then beyond kind of thing, and and we, we did it, instead of as stay as being the sniper teams, we did it as stay being a platoon, just like a regular line unit. Yep. And so we were acting like a platoon on this day, and I had the radio, and we, we came up uh uh, across this, um, this sort of like roadblock op vehicles and all this stuff. So I jump down on the radio and calling up, and it's like you know, hey, you know, we got a uh, enemy over here, the vehicle. This is what's going on. You know, what do we do? And and on the other end of the radio, they're like observe, observe and report. And, and and me, I'm just like oh, observe and report. So Sergeant Hall, you know, yells down, Galley, what what do they say? Fire them up and bring them in. <laughs> we, took, we took all their stuff. We come rolling in back to back to the unit with their Humvees. These guys hot-tied in the back. All this stuff, and they're like, "What are you guys doing?" And here's me with the radio, walking away, hiding my head, laughing. You know, and it's like, "What? We weren't supposed to shoot them up." Oh, sorry, wrong wrong thing. Um, but to me, that's I, I didn't mind carrying the radio as small as I was because I felt I could get in trouble with it.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, I I gained an appreciation. So when I when I first you know joined the snipers platoon, my first two workups and de- deployments, my billet was the uh, team radio operator. Um, so I gained an appreciation for understanding, you know, why you know why com is important. You know, what I mean, because that's essentially your lifeline. You know, when, when yeah. shit hits the fan, yeah. right? So, um, not only that, you know, your ability to, you know, call fire and, 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 uh, and, you know, have close air support. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, that would cause a lot more damage, you know, and destruction than, you know, a, a, a 762 by 51 round. <laughs> right, right.
0: And, and, you know, we used to do, and, and we kind of, we, we sort of perfected it, you know, going into team spirit where, I and mean, again this was all games on that part none of the none of the raid stuff because the raid stuff you know which was when I with the combat action kind of more similar to what you guys do now but back then it was okay here there was a um artillery unit we were watching and it was like all right get down on this finger as close as we can get to get within 762 range then call in that artillery, and as soon as we got the time hack and knew, you know, shot out, it's going to be X amount of minutes before we get the impact. It's like fire the three shots and pick somebody out and say, okay, that guy we're going to shoot. And as soon as we end up shooting him, you know, then the artillery rains in. And now yep. we can get away. Yep. You know, and so that was the one part. But the, so you're doing all that kind of training, and then it goes out the window, and the next thing you're on a ship and you're doing a raid, and you guys were end up a lot more sort of, you know, out and back and, and coming in from raids, and, and I'm sure you did a, a certain amount of hide stuff, but w- w- did you find you were more, um, you know, in an in a OP, in a hide site, looking out over something, looking for targets of opportunity, or was it more supporting a, Door kickers and doing a raid style where everybody comes in you're up overwatch and then out of there What what did you find was the majority
1: of your work? Uh, Majority of my work was so um, Majority of my work was that OP type, uh, you know conducting overwatch a lot of my seniors said you know with the the, Some of my some of my guys that are still there my seniors that are still there. You hate the term assault sniper, right? Like Kaylin, Mm -hmm. for instance, you know, you know, uh, OIF veteran uh, super good dude, you know, and uh, you know he was in the middle of Fallujah where you know um, he was literally the maneuver element for the squad that he was supporting, the company that he was supporting. So he had to bound in front of right the uh, right the assault element in order to provide Overwatch or you know um, security uh, for that infantry squad that was pushing forward. Um, in, in, and that, and, that? And that's uh, whole nother ball game, right?
0: Yeah, because that's where the, like the PRS stuff in the competition to me relates because of the speed and the movement element. Because now you're not laid up in the hide and you're, and you're trying to keep a low profile. You're actually moving quick. and, and I mean, you've got to have eyes in the back of your head. You've got to be all around. And then when something does snapshot pop up, this is where these, these skills apply.
1: Oh, absolutely, right. So in you, your OPs, like you talked about, you're in a deliberate position, right? Everything is kind of planned ahead of time. Hey, this is a tripod that I'm going to take out, whatever the case is. And then this is the kind of, you know, based off of what kind of, you know, uh, overhead imagery you're getting, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of your planning of what you're pretty much getting set up prior to. But so when you're, when you're the maneuver element now, I mean, you are, you are as, 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 you know, Battlefield changes, and you know, just like you know, just like when you're driving, you're you're checking the mirror every what three to five seconds, or every time your scenario changes. Same that, that concept when you know you're out there supporting these elements is you're always trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to provide precision fires, and also keep avoid myself from getting shot, right? So keeping a low profile and stuff like that. And you know, the direct correlation of what I see is. The faster that I can build a position to get a shot off and get back down, is is the key to my success, right? That's the, that's the biggest translation that I've taken out of the PRS is is all right. Here's the position that I need to negotiate. I need to get up, get a shot off, and get back down into cover. You know what I mean? As quickly as possibly can, and then move, right? Versus like you said, just sit there and 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 uh, you know hang out or whatever the case is. <laughs> Right.
0: Yeah. So these skills translate really well that way, and and so I could see liking that part of it and liking that skill set, and then go over. So you, you get out. You're 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 both feet in with the competition side of things. You, you you get picked up with Gunworks, and you're doing the training for them, and um. You know, I've mentioned several times I really like the mix of the the competition you put on up there for Gunworks when you were the match director. How you did one side was was a bit PRS and the other side was more Hunter. Because, I mean, Gunworks does go back to the Hunter style of things, but the crossover is is evident. You know what I mean? Light rifles, but, but bulletproof ones that are all the best calibers and things like that. So you can either go something, you know, the six by PRC type or down to the six millimeter Creed more, but very similar in how they're building these rifles that they'll work in the field or in competition.
1: Yeah, so jumping into this jumping into the in the civilian side industry of long range shooting or just in and shooting in general, I always wanted to stay true to my roots of of why I started shooting long range in general, right? For the in, in the practical application of of carrying a rifle uh, in the defense of the nation, you know what I mean, the, the way Cannon puts it. And now crossing over to now being a, a instructor for a hunting company, you know what I mean. Now I'm still applying almost the same type of um, fundamentals, as do. will, just in a different mindset, right? Because now these these hunters that I'm teaching, they're not, you know, they're not. They're not looking out, you know, they're for two legged critters, right? They're looking for four legged critters, where the case is and, and they want to extend their range or just be comfortable at that at that distance and I wanted to make sure that when I when I ran my match that, you know, it stayed true to the hunting roots. and then not only that, but I stayed true as a match director, as a as an instructor and, and competitor that the the route I feel like the precision rifle series and the National Rifle League was created, you know, was to, you know, see how well you, how well the rifleman you were at that at that farther ranges, you know what I mean? Mimicking a lot of the sniper esque type tasks, you know what I mean? It's Right. In 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 a sense, you know, you would say that it's a game now, and, and, it, and it is right, and 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 that's what I've 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 started to realize like okay. Not everyone wants to be a sniper. Not everyone wants to be a hunter. People want to play the game. I can do all three. I can play the game. I can be a sniper. I can be a hunter, right? Yep. But as an ins- as an instructor, I want to make sure that all of the newer shooters that are coming into the sport understand that, you know, you're not going to take a 25-pound a, a rifle out to a hunt with you. <laughs> or, you know, take your hunting rifle and try to and shoot your 25-pound rifle the same exact way. It's not going to happen.
0: Right. You're not going to put that many rounds through it in that short amount of time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, even right now, I've got, you know, with with how I'm teaching and, and, and what I would like to call modern-day marksmanship, right, I've, I've learned that from how, you know, the biggest thing, you know, I reiterate is recall, understanding recoil management. Your body position and the way you set your positions up is, is important to manage recoil because, when I'm sure the way you, when you went through cyber school, you worked in the shooter spotter pair, right? You know, you're, yeah. you're you're relying on your spotter to give you your wind calls and give you corrections and stuff like that. Well, with the evolution of warfare and you know when we were in Iraq, because we we're overwhelmed with enough firepower most of the time because we we're undermanned or we we're just working in small teams, every gun was in the fight. So that kind of like, oh, shooter-observer mentality, like, went out the window. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I know that I had to rely on just myself to spot my own impact. And that's very similar to what the PRS does, or PRS and NRL, when you shoot those matches, is you need to be able to have accountability around so that you can make the appropriate correction to get back on target or have the desired effects on target. Same exact thing for hunter. Right. Mm-hmm. When a hunter takes a shot, right, and and, and it's funny because a lot of shooters, and a lot of hunters, especially with my older, my older they, none of them are too cognizant about recoil management. Part of them coming to my course, they think because of the effect of recoil, they should be co- they come off target because of it. Right.
0: That 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 you part know. of it's a given. They don't understand you can mitigate that.
1: Exactly. So, you know, my my goal is to open that uh, to open that avenue for them to see that, okay, you know, as long as you position your body right, apply pro- proper fundamentals, that you can not only sometimes fire your trace, but you can have accountability of that round after that rifle recoil and you recover from it so that you can make the appropriate correction in the case that your first shot wasn't successful, whether it be a bad wind call, your, you know, your uh, bad trigger press because it slipped, whatever the case is, Um But, yeah, go
0: ahead. No, go ahead. Do that. You're all good. Um, No, no. I I agree. And and I was just going to say, part of it, I think, I've been trying to um, clarify sort of my position on certain things because it comes off as, you know, the opinions on some ways. And you see this with your little short videos that you do when you you brought up the free recoil side of things because of of your little nugget video. And I – I I think that the the misconception of what we're trying to demonstrate comes from the fact that we are working as current instructors and we look at the big picture just slightly different than the guy who just, you know, I'm paying my money, I'm going to a match, I want to be a top ten guy at the match, and then I'm out of there. You know, where we look at it where, you know, I don't know if you see this happening for you maybe on a smaller or one-day match. It happens with me all the time. You see a guy struggling. You never met him, don't know who he is. And then he's all jacked up, not hitting anything. And all of a sudden, Instructor Frank comes in and starts talking to him. And so now your mind is out of competition and into instructor mode. And I think that's where some of the fundamentalist conversations that we talk about, some of the things you mentioned in, in that free recoil discussion that you had, that there's a difference between coming at it from a strictly competitor standpoint versus coming at it from a instructor wanting people to be a little bit more well-rounded. And and do you, do you see yourself falling into that? Well, I'm a competitor first, but, uh, you know, this, this isn't really that big a deal. Wait a minute. I'm going to be an instructor for a second to help that guy.
1: Oh, man, I'm – I never thought about it that way, but as you're explaining it, like light bulbs quick, right? Um, when I go to matches, my goal is to see how well I'm able to do as an independent shooter. Right? Um, because I've been you know, I've been to I've been to matches where, you know, we're super squads, whatever the case is and it, it's nice to to see other shooters and the way the game plan, but for me as an instructor, I feel like I'm an instructor first. Um I feel like oh Yep. I take away Uh, a lot more when I go to a match and I squad with someone that I've never squatted with, and I'm able to essentially instruct them, you know, as we're shooting the match. Because I I think for me, you know, placing high in a match is is a bonus, right? But my real, like, kind of like, you know, victory comes with, like, hey, man, I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, work with me, and and I've seen – you know what I mean? And improvement in, in, in myself, whatever the case is, because you know ultimately that's what's going to, uh, it, it, you know, that's what's going to sell my stuff. Because at the end of the that, day, that, I'm an instructor, right? It's like, okay, why would you want to come to Phil Blais' long range class over whatever, his ca- whatever the case is? You know what I mean? It's like, well, right. I saw Philip at a match, and he, you know, I saw him take three or four You know, guys on the side. You know what I mean? Um, and and I just like teaching. You know what I mean? Um, I enjoy teaching. Uh, When I go to the range with other people, I end up just teaching anyways. Like, I don't get any kind of practice myself other than demonstration. But going back to your original question, yeah, there's, you know, from an instructor standpoint, there's, you you have to have a building block approach when you're coming into this. It's very technical discipline. You know what I mean? Um, In the sense that it's like, and The way I look at it is, uh, uh, and I actually talked to uh, about this to Caitlin in my last podcast, like going to the gym, right? When you know January 1st, when people start going to the gym, they're all motivated. They hit that one two week mark, they don't see instant results, so guess what they do? They give up, right? And, and and I think that's where the sport is at in the sense that you know they they get a six creed more, they you know they, they gear chase whatever the case is, they go to match scope they yeah, gain themselves, yep. themselves maybe one or two they go from a forty percent shooter to maybe a sixty percent shooter, you know what I mean with mm-hmm. with gear chasing, and then now you know they're still i mean they're still in the they next plateaued. right they're exactly.
0: because they're they're still and then that's when they start hunting down that next one that what's the next caliber? i got to succeed right. more, but maybe I need the Dasher to bring me to the next level. But meanwhile, they, like you said, they plateaued at that 60% mark. So yep. coming from that, that side of it, kind of to, to educate some people here, uh, what do you see as a basic training package for somebody who might be listening out there? What are What are, you know, Three or four things you think they should focus on. Throw gear out the window. We're not even going to worry about our gear. But what three elements or four elements are you out there practicing to get from where you were say a, a month ago to, you know, winning the finale? So what, what, let's shortcut somebody. What did change, what changed in your training? Now that you have the experience behind the matches, you have the experience of the Marine Corps, which is fundamentals, but so now you want to become the best shooter you possibly can, but your time's limited so where are you putting your focus when it comes to training and
1: drills uh, so the you know, biggest focus that i that I did you know was um, really you know ha- hammering down mechanics of of my my position building, right, and going back, I mean, I hate to say it, but going back to basics, right, understanding things like, okay, keep, and this is why I record myself, you know, to to rewatch my videos and stuff like that to see where I can improve. So, you know, my, I shot 400 rounds, like, maybe like 350 or 400 rounds of 308 prior to the PRS finale. I think a 308 is a great training round. It's a very good starter. Um, in the sense that it doesn't, you know, you know we have catch and, and, and great ballistic softwares out there that at the end of the day it's still going to calculate your win. So I don't think a 308 makes you a good win caller, but the 308 definitely exploits a lot of your positioning. You know what I mean? That's a yep. huge part of this sport, right, is, is understanding, okay, when I build a position, I've got two factors to, to, to uh, understand, right, uh, stability and recoil management. It's a give or take. When I have a lot of influence in that rifle with, you know, a a shooter input, I'm going to have a lot of wobbles. It's just just the way it is. But what I'm also going to be able to do is manage that recoil to see that spot. You know what I mean? Mm
0: -hmm. But, you know,
1: with with this this sport, you know, you can't drive into that rifle thinking that you're going to shoot a 2-MOA target off your belly. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, so I'm going to take a little bit of that, Human influence out to minimize that wobble to sacrifice a little bit of recoil management. So that's the art for me in understanding position. Um, So that you
0: you, you like that's basically the dwell time of the 308. That it's it's slower coming out of the rifle. It's more recoil pushing back and moving your position around. On top of that, how fast can you get in and out of that position? Stable enough to manage the recoil with that heavier recoiling rifle that has a longer dwell time and then when you go to your competition gun you find that your wobble zone shrinks up
1: oh yeah my zone because i know that i can get away with a little bit more of my positional right with a lighter recoiling rifle. you know my and that's why i was confused why guys build three uh 223 trainers you know i have a two three, I, you know i'm a victim of the two because it's a lot cheaper but I feel like it doesn't it doesn't do you justice because even a two two three is a lot more less recoiling than a like a six three more the or whatever the case is coming is. out
0: of the barrel, right, right.
1: Yeah. So
0: no, that makes um, perfect sense. That so you're you, you, so what you're saying is don't go for the the trainers in that direction. Stick with the three zero eight as the trainer because you want it's, it's. I guess it would be swinging a bat with a donut on it, right? So you're you're putting yep. the weight on the bat. And then when you take it off, now you've got that good, crisp swing that you're looking for, and, and rather than saying, well, I'm going to take a wiffle bat, and I'm going to practice with a wiffle bat, and then I'm going to try to compete with a modified wiffle bat.
1: Yep. So that's another, a great analogy.
0: Yeah, I think that's good advice for people, you, you know, to, to to kind of look at that and I think the video is one of the best tools we can use. Like you were saying, I I watch myself because whenever I I shoot my own video for the online training lessons and the different stuff that I do, any of them, I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at my technique. And there's tons of times I'm throwing away footage because I'll do something fundamentally wrong. I mean, it may be something I'm tired and I close my left eye and I'm sitting there with my left eye, you know, cranked shut because I don't have my glasses on or something silly. And I'll go, ah, I can't show that video because it just looks fundamentally bad. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if I hit the target, if I did whatever. I want to get rid of it. And so is is it little stuff like that you're looking for in the video that
1: you shoot? Oh, yeah. So, you know, uh, biggest even, even thing. Not the is, eye closing, but small Oh uh, Yeah, small stuff. Like so. the biggest thing, you know, is, 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 is breathing um you know and, and I, I i'd like to bring up trigger control right um you know i'm guilty of a of a 12 ounce trigger right but because i feel like i've mastered a a two to three pound trigger in the sense that that two to three pound trigger is now continuing to handicap me if i try to bring it to a match
0: yeah you know what i mean yeah
1: so you know let's Let's, let's talk about, you know, trigger control and follow-through here. And, you know, a lot of guys go back to that shortcut, you know, they think that, okay, I'm going to run away with a 12-ounce, 8-ounce trigger, you know, at these matches, and what ends up happening. Well, they invest $250 in a match, calipies, just to go home because, you know, they they had MD, you know. Um, I've seen it, you know, and it sucks. It sucks to see guys like that do that, um, because I know how much not only of investment it is, but, you know, that emotional time that you're putting into, you know, trying to see where you where you stack amongst, you know, the the nation. But um, but yeah, I think uh you know, when I watch my videos I'm looking at trigger control and, and how I time it up my breathing and stuff like that. But um I think it, it, you know Go ahead.
0: I was yeah yeah, I was never that big of a um I didn't chase triggers as much until recently and then I kind of saw, I mean, I like the, the, the I, I always kept my triggers right around that two and a half to three pounds, maybe two, you know, and I, and I felt that was a happy, safe medium for me. Plus with the two stage triggers, I get to marry my finger up and, and all that. Well then, you know, just this past weekend I was shooting a video uh, for the online training. Stuff where I was going unsupported, not only unsupported prone, unsupported kneeling, and no sling because I was showing some elements, more bone support and the different things. Well, I was using uh, a, a, the Ashbury's going to be playing with a new rifle for me, a trainer, to, to you know, to, to sell to people. And they sent me one to play with, but it had the Remington trigger. And I had already told them, hey, listen, I want to go with a trigger attack. So when you make these rifles for for the, the customer out there, let's put a trigger tech in it. But the one yep. they sent me originally, it's their like thirteen hundred dollar Cabela model, and it's got a four and a half pound rifle basic trigger in it. Wow. Well, I saw myself coming off so much on that positional stuff that I hadn't noticed as much before, and it and it was really like wow, this is really showing how bad. You know, I can pull myself off with this crazy trigger. And then just, you know, I was putting in a um, a trigger tech diamond in this week into uh, a barreled action that, that I had put together, and it's night and day. And, and you can so see in the video the muzzle being pulled off of target. And then, you know, what I was having to do is make sure that I set my MPA up So, when I did have that little bit of a pull, it was in the direction where my MPA was and not away from it. So, it it took me just that much longer to adjust that natural point of aim for that heavy trigger in an unsupported position versus when I, if I was prone, it doesn't matter.
1: Oh, yeah. So, like, you know, the the, 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 uh, heavier trigger is going to exploit those you know, supported shooting positions off your belly, right? So, you know, let's say you have a, you know, 0.2, 0.3 wobble zone inside your target. I can get a shot off within a second with a 12-ounce trigger. Now when I have a 2- to 3-pound trigger, now that, now that you know, pause comes a lot greater, you know what I mean? Because I'm yes. really focusing on not manipulating the rifle as I slowly press the trigger, right? Because you can, you can jerk 2, 3 pounds within a second, but guess what? You're not hitting your target. You exactly. I mean? Exactly. And that's where these that's where these that's where these guys are at. But they're eight ounce, ten ounce triggers. Ninety percent of them are the shooters that I've seen. And, and it's not like the top twenty. I mean, those guys have anywhere you cut the top twenty. I mean, they're just going to cycle through the next couple of years, right? Just because of you know they've got their fundamentals down. I'm talking like mid pack shooters, always, right? I'm always you know reverting back to the mid pack shooter because a lot of them have plateaued and they don't know where the next step is. So it's going back to the fundamentals. It's having good trigger control in the sense that you can confidently put your finger on that trigger without it going off. Most of the time, a lot of these guys have what I call a gap, like a, you know, like a, you know, two to three centimeter gap off their off their trigger finger and, their, and okay. their trigger, because they know that if they touch it, it's going to go off. So they, yes. you know, they get their stability and they just they just tap their trigger. It, and that's a, where they're the
0: tapper, right? They're the trigger tapper. Yeah.
1: They're just the trigger tapper. You know what I mean? So... You know, my trigger sets where I Because
0: 'cause they're slapping that trigger like a
1: hoe. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my trigger sets where I can put my finger confidently on it and it in, and, and and feel it and it's not gonna go off. You know what I yeah. mean? And I do that I do that whether it's a twelve ounce trigger or whether whether it's you know, a two and a half to three pound trigger. But yeah, I and, I think and... okay. go, go ahead. Yeah. Um and I think that's you know, where I I, I want the I, listeners I, I, to realize.
0: I, shot, I, I just shot a two-ounce
1: trigger, and,
0: and you can marry up to it. It sucks, but you can't do it.
1: That's insane.
0: Uh,
1: a two-ounce, was that, was that a trigger tag?
0: It might have been uh, that. And then there's this um, other company. I One guy had it in Alaska, Canjar or something, and it's a stick. The trigger's just a little... um. Uh, 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 it, 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 almost like the size of one of those bigger paper clips, you know, like a, a, a the, those big fat paper clips. Yep. That's all that trigger is a can jar, and it's like two ounces or something. I'd have to find it. Wow.
1: I, I would. I wouldn't believe that. too. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, that's it. it no slam firing.
0: No, it was that it, it actually worked. I, I don't know, um I, I wanna say like I said, it's like this I think it's a um oh I can't I'd have to find the name. It's a weird I think it starts with a K. But it, it gets down there and then the trigger tech I did shoot a trigger tech that was super light. The insight guys were running it on their uh their twenty six pound rifle, you know. He had a two ounce trigger. It, it took a bit to get used to it, but then I kind of found myself getting used to it, which I thought I would always hate that stuff. And I don't recommend it until you kind of grow into it, and which is why I like the two-ounce triggers better, or not the two-ounce, but the two-stage triggers better and lighten up those just so you can get that contact like you're talking about and not have a, um, an ND. But, um, y- you know, that that's just what it is. But, yeah, there's some crazy triggers out there. But I find myself exploring a more and more now that it's going into so much positional that you have to, and and it's just it, it amazes me like with you in in Kaylin's conversation with the MPA stuff that how many people really don't recognize the MPA part of the equation when they are off their belly better than sixty percent of the time.
1: Oh yeah. I mean natural point of aim will you know, understand it. And, and that's the thing, right? When you when you see guys like myself, Caitlin, you, you know, on these social media sites, you know, or whatever the case is, you know, we're always we're always coming everything at from a fundamental standpoint. Because like you said, you know, we're going back to instructor mode, not competitor mode of a mindset, right? So as an instructor I'm using words like natural point of aim. Much relaxation. Right. Uh, you know, natural cause, natural point of aim, all that stuff. You know what I mean? Versus other shooters, right? They're just you know, they're just trying to figure out how to get that wobble steady and, and their goal is to hit that target.
0: Yeah, right? yeah.
1: And they and, can and, achieve and, and, that but you know, they, they don't know they don't know they don't know how they're achieving that. They don't know the route to get there. And I think that's where you and I and Cam come in. It's like we know exactly how to get to that route of breaking it down as systematically as possible. Understand, if you have good target acquisition in the sense that, you know, you square your body up and you line your body up with your target, more times than not, when you come into your field of view, when you bring a rifle on your shoulder, you're going to see your target. How many times do I see not only just hunters but, you know, competitive shooters get so zoned into building their a shooting position they're looking at the position when they look up. Or they, they don't even look up. They, they build a position, go straight into the rifle scope, and then start scanning for the target. It's like ask backwards, right. right? It's like why not you just keep situational awareness of where the target's at, at all time and where your body is already set naturally to where your target's at. And then, you know, you bring the rifle to you.
0: Yeah, find it with your eye, kill it with the scope. And I always show people that, that how, you know, with our hunter vision, our predator vision, we're looking straight at the target. We don't take our eyes off the target, and then we index and cut that target with the muzzle getting to get yeah. into our position, depending on how, you know, what, what kind of position. But basically, we're, 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 we're indexing our body towards that target. We always have our eyes on that target, and then we're pushing the rifle in towards it and, and bringing it to us and kind of meeting these all together versus trying to build the position and then look up and go, where was my target?
1: Yep, right, and, and and that's the thing is like these these, I mean it's something as simple as that. These guys are like, you know that's why they don't have good that's why they have such a what I call bad wobble zone and they revert to this, you know, free recoil or whatever we want to call it, right? And and that's that's what is it's funny is like, I think I demonstrated on that my video a a true form of free recoil, right? And, and I think. A lot of people starting getting triggered in the sense that, well, that's not how it's it's done. It's like, well, this is my interpretation of what free recoil is. You know what I mean? And I said it in my video, loud and clear. You know what I mean? Regardless if you do it or not, if you if you grab the rifle, okay, you know you're you're mitigating recoil some some other way. But the only influence that I had on that rifle was the fact that it was sitting on the prop, and I my my hand was or my finger was on the trigger.
0: And and when it spilled over from the Facebook stuff, spilled over to Sniper Tide, and several of those guys came over from there, we totally realized that none of us were saying the same thing. Their idea of what they thought we were saying when it came to free recoil was different from what they were executing. And then, you know, we had one vision in our head. They had a different vision. And then just the, the terminology crossed paths. And it's like, no, that's not what I consider free recoil. That's just lightly kissing up to the rifle and and keeping it balanced in the center. This, where I'm, you know, holding my thumb on the back of the trigger guard and I'm not touching the rest of the stock, you know, that to me was the free recoil side of things.
1: Yes, and and you see those shooters out there, right? Um, and, And I'll be honest, you know, when I shot the PRS finale, you know, there was, there was, I'd, I'd say, about uh, four to five percent of the shots that I took that I, I didn't have accountability yet, right? But when I negotiated the stage and I had a game plan in my head, the very first thing was that I'm going to get in this position, I'm going to free recoil it, or I'm going to just, you know, whatever. Obviously, the best intent is to, to, to build the best shooting position as possible. But to go back to uh, Brian Morgan's quote, you know, him and I had a conversation the other day online. It's like, you know, sometimes the most stable position is not the most fundamentally sound. And right, I saw that, right. right? I I build a compromising position in sense that, and I got it on video, and I'll post it, right? I'm not, I no shame in my game in sense that, that rifle goes off, and I come off target. You know what I mean? I have the conscious decision to shoot that target, so I'm not having an ND, but you know because of the effect of recoil, because of how i was positioned behind that that rifle, I didn't see. I, I thankfully got hit on it. You know what I mean? But to me, like that's not okay, right? Right. In the sense that I'm, I'm going to try to figure out a better way to negotiate this position so that I can see that impact because I'm, I'm not going to sit there and tell, you know, one of my students, like, oh, you need to be able to manage recall and then adopt do it myself. You know
0: what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Oh, wait, well, right? hey, you paid me, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, and, and,
0: and, and, and like I said, I think it's really just a diff- coming at the same thing from a different place You know, uh, uh, and and I agree with you 100%. We're we're not talking about that top 20 group of people. We're talking more about the mid-pack guys. We're talking more uh, about people who've plateaued, who are looking to go to the next level, who may not have the ability to drive an hour away and find matches, or may not have the ability to go to their local range, and, you know, there's 10 PRS guys practicing there that they can – slide in and learn something with. Maybe they go, their local range is only 200 yards and they don't know what to do. You know, they're by themselves. They don't have a network behind them. So I think a lot of what we're saying, you know, is, is, is sent to them, but then we get the other people who, who kind of intercept that, that call and then the next thing you know it's a
1: debate. Yeah, and and there's a lot of naturally talented shooters out there. You know what I mean. That in, in a sense that they've only been doing the sport for a few months, for, for years, and I mean they're at the top, right? Um, and, and it just clicks for them, just like anything else. Um, but and a lot I mean, of those guys I, I, have a support
0: I, network, have a, have a network they, around them.
1: They do, but I feel like those guys, I feel like they they don't know how to break it down in a process to, uh, to, to Barney style in the sense that this is how I got there. Yeah. Right. And and that's what I found is, you know, with me and, and you know, having from, you know, I've, I've trained, you know, students from 19 years old all the way up to 80, right? The, only, the oldest student I've had so far going to a grammar class is 80. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, that in itself, you know, understanding body mechanics and understanding the human mind of, of how they receive information and, you know, breaking it down to the lowest level so they can understand it is, you know, me as an instructor, that's kind of what, that, I mean, that's what I do, you know what I mean? Um, so it, when a when a shooter that's naturally talented is, you know, helping another shooter or whatever, you know, break through the barriers, I, I think there's a disconnect in the sense that he's just saying... Do it like this, because this is how I
0: do. it works. It? I don't know if it's right, but this works for me. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, no, know yeah, right. yeah. I don't know what you call it, but this works for me. I don't know if it's yeah. right, but this. And it's like, well, how does that translate to somebody, like you said, who's eighty or who's you know who doesn't have a background in it? And, and, and you're trying to get, but I've seen that happen a lot where people are like, well, I don't know, but it works for me. You yeah. know, because there's a lot of things like from an instructor side, as short as I am, you know, like go to boot camp. I ran the side of the obstacle course to kick off of the vertical poles to reach stuff that might have been a little iffy for me to reach if I just went straight down the center. Yep. So if I knew there was a a jump or a reach on the logs or something in the O course that was just a little bit, Frank might be a little short on that fly. I'd go to the edges to where the vertical pole was, and I could always use it as a crutch. I wouldn't teach you to do that unless you had the same problem as me.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you know that goes. I mean, understanding your body mechanics, right? Right.
0: You know, because there there's a lot of stuff that, because of my height, that's not going to translate well universally. And right. I always look at the way to translate that trigger. You know, the fundamentals translate universally,
1: and yes. that's kind exactly of where, that. I think that's what we're trying to. That's the message that we're trying to portray. Uh, portray right is the the fundamental will will carry on. Or, you know, whether you're yeah, whether our audience is someone that's, you know, four foot ten or someone that's, you know, uh, you know, seven foot. So it's funny that you say that. When I was an instructor at sniper school I had Navy SEALs come through my course. They they were freshly graduated floods, they they weren't seasoned yet. Uh we were trying to reestablish the relationship back with the SEAL community. Uh because a, a former scout sniper that was in the SEAL team, uh who I actually went through school with you know he came up and he was like, "Hey, you know talk to the staff and so I see he like, hey, I'd like to get some of my 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 uh my team members to you know Marine Corps Scout sniper school um, so I was like hell yeah so i had a I had a student um that was like six foot seven right he was tall and you know and if you know our quals you know we we shoot standing and sitting um uh, from a tripod uh for known distance that's one of the very first shooting quals that you do." Well, our tripods, we had the Bushnell tripods, they only got up to about maybe like a comfortably like a 5'10 shooter would shoot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Even with a gooseneck really extended. So this guy, 6'4", you know what I mean? We didn't have anything for him. So he had to really like lean down and stuff like that. We went to kneeling position, I mean, he was just as tall as everyone on the line and standing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, understanding that, was like, okay, well, I need to figure out how to get this guy. And and that's the difference between, you know, an instructor in the civilian sector versus a cyber instructor in the military. It's like my performance is based off of essentially how many people I can get to successfully graduate. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. People are going to be like, oh, what the hell? But yeah, so like my performance is based and written from a commander who never does any oversight of how well I'm able to produce You know, capable snipers. You know, the numbers game, whatever. If you failed the
0: entire class,
1: you failed. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? So, unlike you know civilian instructors that just you just go and get paid to shoot, like you have no qual at the end of your at the end of your your shoot. You know what I mean? It's just like, hey, you paid your class, you learned whatever you could, but there's no like pass or fail. Right, the
0: certificate of completion.
1: Yep, I, I took it as a challenge. Like, oh, I'm gonna get this guy to pass. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, you know, universally the fundamentals. As long as you understand how to break it down to a shooter, right? I think that it, it and that's how I was. That's, that's what I always we re- 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 back to, you know what I mean? When I'm when I'm training and you know, my train up for this 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 match is just being fundamentally sound. You know what I mean, and, and it it was it was it was bittersweet in the sense that because of all the commotion that was just stirred the last two weeks leading up to leading up to the match, mm-hmm. um, you know. But regardless, you know, if you look at the top ten shooters, I mean, they've been performing well all year, right? Um, and I, you know, it, it's no question of them that they're not fundamentally sound because, you know, I think that. I don't think that I outshot any of the top shooters, in the sense that I think you know my win conditions were slightly better than them, and then my mental game toward the very end was was on. I mean, it was it was on point. Like I didn't um, I didn't succumb to the mental pressure of knowing that I could possibly win this.
0: Well, and, and the mental game is huge. I think people underestimate that side of it. I mean, I even still get the nerves and jitters and all that when I go to these matches. And it's easy when you're doing well to kind of shoot yourself in the foot. It, that, you know, just, just staying on point and staying on your game and mentally sharp. I mean, that's where you, your physical fitness level comes in, your nutrition comes in. But that's what feeds your brain. And and I, I really think that that mental aspect of it, especially because it's so highly competitive, it it will give you that little extra edge. Um, just just meant being mentally strong for for two three days.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, so on Friday uh, or Saturday after the first day, I dropped I dropped fifteen points, and by seven thirty, I was out cold. Um. You know what I mean? Just because of the mental, and, and you would think just shooting, you know, 20, 11 stages, you know, 110 rounds, like it doesn't take anything out of you. I mean, the, not only the mental stress of of being, you know, highly competitive, but then you know, being under the gun and under time and and trying to, you know, still fall back to your your training roots and all that stuff, like it, it is mentally exhausting. So, you know, leading up to the the finale day or day two, um, I was clean. You know, I shot the seven, first seven stages clean, leading up to my second to last stage. I had 28 shoes in front of me before I shot. <laughs> oh. And you know how you know how it's like, man. It's like it's like right there. I just want to shoot these the next two matches to see. You know, just see how see the next two stages. See where I end up. But I have to wait like, 28 like shooters in, in front of me.
0: Yourself out zone.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, right. Because now I'm watching all these guys execute this course fire. I'm second guessing my game plan. I'm second guessing my win calls, and I'm like, oh crap, right. Um, I just wanted it to be over. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's where that was that was a turning point in, in, the, in the match for me mentally, just being able to overcome that stage. Um, you know, the last stage was was, was was no was no big deal, no issue. But my second last stage, I, I can remember how much I started getting into my own head because of that the mental pressure attack. started
0: to. It was like, oh, wait a minute, I got to clear this out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no.
0: So, is there a range that, like, a distance that you like to use universally? Like, are you always shooting at 800, 400 because of the matches? Or are you bouncing all over the place depending what's open? Is there is there a range you like to focus on in a target size?
1: Ooh, uh, so four to six hundred yards is what I like to focus on. Um, target size is you know right at a minute and a half to two minutes. Um, I like to I like to bounce uh, bounce back. So like if I have uh, targets set up, I'll make sure that um, they are on opposite. Ends of the spectrum, the range of my left and right lateral limits, because it forces me to shift my body and adjust my body. Right? I think that's okay. something that's overlooked. overlooked right? Is, is body going back to the natural point of view, body position? You know what I mean? It's so easy for no, us I to like just that. roll. That's, that's
0: a good. That's a good tip.
1: Yeah, it, it's easy for us to just roll our shoulders. You know, because I do it too when, when my position, or when when my when my field of fire is like you know a, a 15 degree fan. You know, with a light caliber, I just roll my shoulders. But when you're, you know, you're going from one extreme to another, like, you have to move your hips. you gotta, you got to get up, pick your head up off the gun, and you got to look for that target. Um, so when I'm working positionals, that's what I usually look at. And then I'll always do, you know, so a little bit of long-range training in the sense that my targets are 800 yards and beyond, um, and I'm just working on initial wind calls or uh, corrections, right? So, you know, making that initial wind call on that target, if I miss, that's okay, Right It's just making a, a a positive correction right to get back on target, right but the most yeah. amount of rounds I'll spend on a target at long range is two, three max right because you know once you get that wind out, then I mean you're not doing yourself any justice right competitively it's like you're not learning to correct for your own impact right. you're not learning so how to make you it you
0: shoot your first round you get you, you have a bad wind call, you fix it, and you hit it on the second, well, then your third, fourth, and fifth hit aren't really telling the tale anymore go to something else exactly makes sense yep totally yep. makes sense now yep. go and reestablish a new wind call change your position slightly or the your your target i guess would be a better way to put it so if you're if you have a a, a, a target to your right side of the range at 800 yards and you do your wind call and then if you transition over all the way to the left now you're you're kind of changing the angle on the win and now do a new win call and and go almost like, you know, for lack of a better word, like a new cold-bore shot for yourself, even though, you know, we don't have a –
1: I don't think we have a word for a new first round kind of, but you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and I think, you know, for, for me as a competitor, those were my weak spots, you know, at, you know when I was looking at myself in the standing, you know, as far as what where the separator stages were. Right, 'Cause you know, I would do fine off my belly, I'd you know be getting nines and tens, but it was like the sevens and the sixes that were killing me, right? And those seven and sixes were are were from the separator stages in the sense that it was it was the low range ones. It was uh you know, from eight hundred to twelve hundred, you know, making not only good initial wind calls, uh, but making good corrections. You know what I mean? And and then yep yep um, on the fly being able to figure out, okay, this is my new correct this is my actual corrected wind call. Okay, so what the, what is the wind really doing? You know what I mean? Um, and like, you know, on the fly, looking back at my chart or whatever I have written down, and trying to do the back math on that.
0: <laughs> Are well, for wind? wise What do you? Because uh, you're shooting a six more For is that like your mainstay? Is a six more Are you just doing like? Um, I have I have a six mile an hour gun, or do you have some other way that you look at the wind for yourself? <laughs>
1: Nope, that's exactly right. i got a six-mile-an-hour gun. That's just the easiest way to do it. Um, and, and honestly, what I've been doing is I've been getting out of the Kestrel and, and, and the ballistic solver. And what I mean by that is um, prior to the match, the last five or six matches that I ran, you know, this past winter, um, you know, what I do on checking in days, I'll collect the so I'll get a you know, generic DA, and then I'll say, okay, you know, this is, this is about noontime, so this is what the temperature is. So I'll set that temperature up on my catch roll um, and then I'll write dopes every 20 yards all the way out to uh, all the way up to a thousand yards right um, and then I'll do wind calls and I and I do wind calls in the sense that um, I do it every four to six miles an hour because from four to six miles an hour because wind is damn near linear I have a wind call using quick math from two to 12 miles an hour. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, now I'm spending less time on the Kestrel because I, I used to play that game of once you get the stage brief, sometimes target changes, targets or target uh, distance changes and stuff like that. I'm sitting there thumbing through, right, the Kestrel would get the exact range, and then I realized we're just wasting time. You know, when I could be focusing on, you know, the shooter in front of me, I could be watching what the wind is doing. I could be watching what the shooter's, what his talent game plan is, if it was similar to mine, if he's failing, whatever the case is. Um, so I, I, I started removing myself from the threshold or the actual, uh, execution, right, and, and relied on my, my, my hard data. But yeah, I used a, uh, six mile an hour gun, uh, method and sense that, yeah, if it's six miles an hour, full value, um, you know, it's going to be my range to target and then.
0: Gotcha. No, that's good stuff, man. It's all what we've been talking about on here. I I mean, I think there's a lot of really good negatives or uh, positives all this. And I didn't want to go into the negative side of things. I don't know if you saw, um, just because we're, we're, you know, kind of cruising up on the hour and I don't want to keep you too dang long, uh, though I'll keep you as long as I can. But um, I I spoke with Shannon Kay this week, passed all that out with them, um, you know, because he took over on Monday morning of the PRS. So, yeah. so after your win, your win, and all that. So then, you know, Shannon and I on on Tuesday, Wednesday night, we spoke. Um, you know, for quite a while, and, and you know, just kind of doing all that. So, at first, it was kind of like, hey, let's have some fun with all the the, the, the BS happening. And now it's like, hey, man, let's just focus on the positive. Let's go and, and look at that. It's a new year, new season for everybody. Let them do their job and. He's already making good, big, sweeping changes, and I'll talk more about that later um, in a different podcast, and I'm going to get Shannon on here to do a podcast. But I, I, I think that th- what, what you're talking about is, is really the meat and potatoes of what people need to understand, that it's not chasing the gear, like you mentioned, three, four times already. It's, it's, it's the type of practice you're putting in. It's that focus on the fundamentals. Especially if you found yourself a plateaued, and and you want to go to the next level, and then it starts to work on the little tips and tricks that help in a in a specific stage, versus trying to rely solely on sort of that you know, well I'm going to do it this way because I saw that picture and that's successful. Well, every little situation should be slightly different. And when you have that good background on the fundamentals, when you when you have that ability to understand cause and effect, you can then adjust. And and I think that's yep. a mainstay of what we're trying to say, that we're not speaking to the top twenty guys, we're speaking to the mid pack people and our mindset is from making well rounded shooters out there and, and not worrying about, you know, where somebody places other than that that's personal to me. Where do you place is your measure for your ability and your training, and then you can go back and fix it, work on it, practice more at it, and then measure yourself again.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like, we're, we're not out there, you know, and, and sometimes I, I think I our message might seem abrasive in the sense that, you know, we're, we're – we're we're trying to say that the you know, fundamentals is the only way. You know, I, I get it. Yeah. The and, and trust me, because of this sport, right? I've I've, I've changed my mechanics of, of of shooting, my shooting style, as you will, from my basic traditional way I was taught, you know, in sniper school seven years ago. You know, but I was always able to relate it back to the foundation of the fundamentals of the marksmanship. Of of the why, right? And truly, millennials may be a better instructor. And I say that because you know those suckers. Ask yeah, a lot yes, you
0: know that. I want to. That that word's been coming up quite a bit, and I and I hesitate to use it. Um, uh, but it, it it does seem like it applies, and it's funny to to kind of see you use it there because I do see that they are asking us to change sort of the verbiage. You know how? Explain to me that in a different way, and I think that's where you, like you said, the abrasiveness comes in because we're used to, you know, we're used to dealing with the Marine Corps. We're, you know, at bombs and this, and there is no feelings, you know, everybody. Yeah, there insane. is no feelings. Yep. <laughs> and and now we deal with people with feelings,
1: you know. And that's the thing is like I mean, um, you know, I you know I try to articulate it as. as as professionally as, as, as I can, right, so that you understand. Um but, you know, it it and it's hard to convey stuff over over social media, right? Um as far as you know, the way you're the way you're you're trying to put your message out and stuff like that. Um but everyone that see me at a match that that's know me, you know what I mean? That is that is far from what it is. Like I just want not, not only, not only, the, yeah, not only the support to succeed, but you know, my main goal as a as a you know former scout sniper instructor is to is to put myself out there so I can show my peers, my our other peers in the scout sniper community that are still in the fight. You know, you know, bring down that 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 guard and be like, hey man, it's okay to put your, your ego, you know, check your ego out the door and, and just come out to one of these matches to see how you do, right?
0: Yeah, don't, not, be there's, there's, don't be afraid. Don't be to afraid.
1: Don't be afraid. Exactly, right? You know, don't Maybe.
0: be afraid to have a bad showing.
1: Nope. Like, when I first went to a match, I got my ass kicked by freaking doctors and engineers and lawyers. You know what I mean? And I and I came in there with a big head thinking I was hot shit, right? And, it, you know, somewhere in mid-pack or even below mid-pack, whatever the case is. But that gave me the motivation to be like, all right, Never again. You know what I mean? And, and, and yeah, maybe that's just 10% of us. But I think if I, if, if you know, even if it's just one person that I can be like, you know what, I I got into this sport because I saw him doing it, and he didn't give a fuck. You know whether he, excuse my language, whether he, you know, was accepted or not, he still put himself out there because he saw the training value out of it. You know, what yeah, I mean? that yeah. that I, one I, person I, I is more than the other.
0: <laughs> that's. So my first match, this, like, this type of match, I went and did a, I did a little thing. I did a Badlands match, um, 2000, maybe 2001, in Oklahoma. And, you know, like, Marine Corps background, even though I had been out for a long time, and, and you know, terrible rifles, the whole thing, real, you know, like a 700, 20-inch 700 with a a six-power uh Leopold on it with a millbox. And, um... I, saw, I shot it, and Terry Cross was there. And Terry Cross was shot. And I don't know if you've ever shot with Terry Cross.
1: I have shot with Terry Cross, yeah. My very first match I shot with him. Super solid, it, dude.
0: It Seeing him, like, even just run the bolt at that time, it was like, you know, humbling on so many levels. At the time, I mean, Terry was on top of his game. He was unbeatable. He was winning stuff left and right. And and to watch him operate was like you know so humbling. But instead of you know, in, in, instead of you know getting all uh, butt hurt about the thing, it's like, no way, man! I'm 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 gonna be like that. I'm gonna get that much better. And and yeah, I got this foundation and all that. But now I have to be better. Go out there and lose. I mean, I tell people, go out there and lose three times bad. Then figure out what you need to do, what you're going to look at, where the equipment's going to fall. But focus on the, the, those elements that are important. And, and that's why I like, you know, like you said, that one and a half to two MOA targets, that 400 to 600 for that practice on the positional stuff, 800 and beyond to get your win calls and move that around. I mean, there's really, really some good information out there. It's just having that plan and sticking to the plan, which you've talked about four or five times already. Saying, "Well, the plan in my head. Well, this, you know, I go out and I do this." You have an actual plan, and 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 I think that's a, a um, you know that's something that people have to look at.
1: Yeah, I, you know, and you know, moving forward, I, I think you know with with two thousand nineteen, it's gonna be. I mean, you talked to Shannon. I haven't I haven't talked to Shannon, but. You know, you know, both the National Rifle League and the Precision Rifle Series are are are, are going to be you know growing this sport, right? Uh, and and I look forward to seeing what twenty nineteen just you know with the advances of technology and stuff like that. You know, because I mean, aren't you messing around with some pretty cool stuff uh, for twenty nineteen prior to Shot Show? Always.
0: Yeah, always, man. I mean, some of the laser stuff coming out. I mean, unfortunately, you guys aren't using that, but there's some really good kit happening out there. Um, I mean, even just look at, like, the MDT chassis. Yep. How it's not expensive, but it gives you that ability to go into, like, three different types of directions if you want to go. And, you know, stuff like that. And and, and there's, there's really, I mean, we're in a golden age of precision rifle right now.
1: Yes, we are. I mean, if you think about seven years ago when I, well, I feel like seven years ago, and this is what I was just regurgitating to say to me, uh, 10 years ago when I first came into community, you know, we had Schmidt and Benner's and m 48-5s. I mean, the Schmidt and Benner was the best thing that ever happened in Marine Corps at that point in time. You know what I mean? We went following with the Mills Mills and understanding that game. You know what I mean? And I love your, your article on Mills versus MOA and why Understanding that it's an angular unit of measurement. Stop thinking about it and stop thinking about the linear distance because it doesn't matter. I always I always revert back to that article when I'm teaching my students because they're all wrapped up. And maybe it's because my students are a lot older, right? Because they're thinking in inches. Like you don't have to think in any inches anymore, man. There's there's this, there's a reticle three inches away from your face yeah. that speaks that, speak, that yeah. speaks to you in an angular unit of measurement. And it matters,
0: man, and and, and I'll tell you what, some of the old guys are hard as nails, too. They don't bitch. Like, how many of the old guys do they show up with, like, the rum hunting rifles and go through a whole class? Like, holy cow, I wouldn't want to take that kind of punishment, man. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're for sure, I mean, they they have that old-school style of shooting, and they're just used to getting beat up, and it's like... And you can achieve the same exact thing with a 6 fire female over here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) But those those guys are hard
0: as nails, man, so, you know, we on them for doing it. We'll we'll be those guys in a bunch of years. I remember when I shot this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already getting up there, man. AARP already sends me letters in the mail. Do they? Yeah, oh, yeah, dude, I'm over that. I'm past that age now. I'm already getting that crap. But no, this is cool, man. I don't want to keep you too long. We got a good hour into the can and stuff a little more. This, I think this is going to be telling and we'll do it again. Make sure this is all, you know, sounds great, which I, uh, hopefully this app works well for me before the new uh, TriCaster comes out um, that I'm going to grab that I could do the phone stuff. But uh, I, I think this is a good first opening to introduce everybody to, to what you got going on. And, and again, congrats on that win. Um, the gun work stuff, I'll plug yourself with gun work. Uh, I I know that guys can probably go online to get your class schedule out of Gunworks. You are the instructor for those those guys. So, um, you know, if it's just on their website or I don't know if you have a dedicated website for the training side, but give yourself a plug.
1: Yeah. So, uh, just go to uh, www.gunworks.com, go to our training tab and you'll see all of our course schedules for 2019. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm the, the, the lead instructor. So, uh, 100% 100% of the time, if it's a class with Cody, um, you'll see me. Uh, and, you know, that that goes from, you know, whether you're just getting in the long range or even if, you know, like I said, you're that mid-pack shooter that is all self-taught and you, you think you've plateaued, I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, what a one- to two-day class will do for you, you know, in regards to understanding your own body mechanics because that's, that's essentially what I go over. That uh, nice. that's the meat, meat and potatoes of my, of my instruction is understanding your individual capabilities and limitations and how you could use that to your benefit.
0: No, that's awesome. I, I look forward to, this, to this, the new season. I'll try to get out and shoot some stuff in between the training classes. Uh, uh, I'll definitely try to make it to your match again and work around that, uh, the Cody one, the Gunworks match you've got going on. I, I, I really enjoyed the two sides of it. Because it, it works on that side that I don't do as well on and then, you know, my day two was twice as good as my day one, but I was yeah, I was kind of crawling through day one with my neck and shoulder. I didn't wanna tweak it and then screw up the entire weekend, so I went really slow. But it was a really well balanced, well rounded match. Um I, I think he did an awesome job. There was you know no drama, no downtime. The, the, the squats were fun. We had a really good time with everybody, and, and so definitely look forward to more of your stuff for 2019.
1: Yeah, thanks, Frank. Yeah, I appreciate you coming out, and and again, uh, thanks for having me on this podcast. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your podcast. You know, you and I are on the same page, so yeah, I think 2019 uh, is going to be a, a good year, and I'm looking forward to uh, shooting with you um, one of these days.
0: Yeah, we'll do more, man, and we'll, I'll definitely try to get together and find when you're out. Even if NRL, match, PRS, doesn't matter. We'll, we'll definitely try to fit in a match so we can squat up together. That'll be fun. Yep.